the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Here we go. Four o'clock hour is here. Miles Simmons coming up in about 20 minutes. Look around the NFL, but we continue our 32 to 1 Cofield and Company countdown NFL rankings. And boy, oh boy, we were very high on the Rams. There is not a Matt Stafford hater on this staff, but there are some out there. Greg Beecham covers the Rams for the AP, and he joins Cofield and Company to help us break down the Rams with the season opener around the corner. What's up, Greg? Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Good to talk to you. Uh, it's going pretty good. You know, as I was getting ready for the spot, though, I was like, I like Matt Stafford, but I don't know if I like Matt Stafford to be on the number three team in the NFL. That's actually where we have the Rams. Are we crazy to have them as the third best team in the NFL? I don't think it's crazy. I think I think they're a fascinating uh, puzzle that's going to be solved over this season. They put together something here that could go really, really right in a lot of ways given the guys you're talking about. I mean, the two main characters in this whole drama are, are Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay, two guys who uh, are have reputations as two of the best at what they do in their career, but also still quite quite obviously have something to prove, both of these guys. Matt Stafford's never won a playoff game in a dozen years where he's respected as one of the best, most durable, most, most uh, clever, most game-changing quarterbacks in the league, and yet, you know, he doesn't have the success to go with that. And then you got Sean McVay, who is a groundbreaking offensive football coach, changed the way the game was played in some little ways when he came in just four years ago. But then his last two teams didn't crack the top ten in the NFL in scoring. They've both got something to prove this year. And if Sean McVay is as right as he seems to think he is about what Matthew Stafford can do with the right ingredients and, more importantly, with the right guy calling the plays, the Rams are going to be really good. I mean, there's just no way around it. They've got a defense that's as good as any in the league last year. Took a little bit of a step back, but not so much that you'd be like, oh, no, they're, they're in trouble, and the, the difference is going to be on the offense. And They've got two guys in place who could do a lot of good. When we talk about the difference between Matt Stafford and Jared Goff, I know it's easy to just kind of go to the quick hate of like, oh, well, obviously Matthew Stafford's better than Jared Goff. What specifically do Sean McVay and his staff think that Matthew Stafford can do that Jared Goff was not doing? The stuff you hear from the Rams coaching staff, McVay specifically, and other guys too, both both you know in in public statements and when we're just talking, is a lot of the little things, a lot mm-hmm. of the things where the plays that make the difference between good quarterbacks and great quarterbacks. There's no doubt that Jared Goff is a good quarterback. He's a quality quarterback. He's made two Pro Bowls. He made the Super Bowl. You can't just say all that is Sean McVay's fault. At some point, the quarterback has to execute those plays on the field, and Jared Goff executed enough of those to be a successful quarterback in his first four years, first five years in this league. But the differences that they talk about when, when we're talking to them is, is that is that Matthew Stafford sees more of the field. He, he is le- he's less stressed under pressure. He knows how to make the extra read, the extra decision to make a play happen that maybe Jared didn't. He knows he knows how to throw the long ball. Obviously, that, that's been talked about at great length. The fact that the fact that, that that Stafford can really load it up and get rid of it to, on a team that didn't really have a huge deep threat last year anyway. So that doesn't really tell you a lot about what Jared Goff can or can't do with the deep threat. Now they've got Deshaun Jackson. Now they've got Tutu Atwell coming in from the second round. Two guys who are, are among the fastest guys of their separate generations. They are basically separate generations. But uh, two really fast pass catchers for Matthew Stafford to use. And the differences between those two guys that we always hear over and over again is that Matthew Stafford can win you games that Jared Goff can't win you. And so we're going to find out that's true because, you know, every NFL team is in a bunch of close games down to the wire. The Rams less than most, but it's, it's a situation where 
if Matt Stafford can turn a 10-win Rams team into a 13-win Rams team, that's the difference. You know, you go in the playoff as the one or two seed instead of the four or five, six seed, and you see how it goes from there. You mentioned the defense and maybe a small step back. So you look, and obviously Brandon Staley is gone. You're on your third defensive coordinator in three years. John Johnson, Troy Hill, you make some subtractions. Of course, the one subtraction you don't make is Aaron Donald. Uh, do you <laughs> feel as though any defense that starts with Aaron Donald is going to be competitive bar none, or am I overestimating the effect that he has? No, you're absolutely right. The Rams have had a competitive defense, a good defense every year. That, that Aaron Donald has been on that team since they got to Los Angeles specifically. Like, I don't want to speak for St. Louis because a lot is going on there. But, uh, I mean, that, people forget that when they traded up to Brandon Staley last year. That was a controversial move at the start because Wade Phillips was in charge of a defense that was not bad. It was the eighth in the league in DBOA, or top ten. It was eight, eighth or tenth. And uh, that, was, that was a quality defense that got a lot of things done, but they couldn't succeed in the big games, like when Lamar Jackson came in and destroyed them in the Coliseum when, when you know Pat Mahomes went nuts on them. Those are the differences between a good defense and a great defense. And in some ways, it's kind of a mirror of what Sean tried to do with the quarterback this year. He had a good quarterback. He tried to go to a great quarterback. He had a good defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips, who is a quality veteran guy who knows what he's doing. He went out and got a guy who turned out to be a great quarterback. He's taken a lot bigger risk with Brandon Staley than he was with Matthew Stafford in terms of what the league's perception of him is. But as long as you're building from Aaron Donald, you're starting with a huge advantage. And as long as you're building with Jalen Ramsey in the back, you know, the, the best shutdown cornerback in the league by a lot of statistical measures or in the top handful in every statistical measure. you got those two guys to build from. All the other stuff tends to fall into place, as they proved last year with a team that ha- they, lost, they lost four starters, you know, and, and they, they replaced them in certain ways, but not, not really a lot from the outside. They're trying to build with what they've got inside, counting on the fact that these guys who have played alongside AD, played along Jalen, who know the system. Raheem Morris is not trying to change a lot of things with this system. He's trying to trying to play largely the same types of schemes with adjusts and tweaks for personnel and obviously for unpredictability. But they're trying to put this all together around a framework. When, when your bedrock is those two guys, you're already at a huge advantage, and I think you're absolutely right. As long as, as, long as AD is in there destroying lines and creating passing lanes for Leonard Floyd to become a superstar, then you're, you're already ahead of the game. It's the voice of Greg Beecham from the AP, previewing the Rams on Cofield and Company. Does anything change scheme-wise, uh, approach-wise, going from Staley to Raheem Morris? Uh, it sounds like they're going to do largely the same thing. Obviously, they have shown us nothing in the preseason and told us even less. I mean, I mean, Raheem is, is a great talker. He'll tell you a ton of stuff and not really say a lot. He's got a lot of, a lot of that in common with his new boss, Mr. McVeigh, who, who will use 500 words to tell you 10 words of things, and, and you come out of it thinking, man, yeah, I got some really good insight. Then you look back and you're like, wait a second, no, I didn't. You got me again. But uh, I, I, think the scheme, I think the scheme will look largely the same. They're doing a lot of the same stuff, and – if anything, they're going to have Jalen Ramsey do even more. They they talked a lot about that last year with with friends Daly, how he was going to be, you know, he'd he'd be he'd be in the nylon coverage on this. He'd be he'd be the star guy on this. He'd be he'd be stepping up to play almost like a linebacker on this. It sounds like they're going to use him in even more roles. He's been very cagey about it. He's been very not wanting to talk to us at all, which means he's working on stuff. And the fact that that they're going to try to employ him in different ways also tells you they're they're very confident in Darius Williams. It tells you they're confident in the backup. Uh, cornerbacks and defensive backs who are stepping up to fill those spots left by left by Troy Hill, left by John Johnson. And it sounds like what they're going to do is largely say, you obviously have to change because it's the NFL and you've got to adjust or you'll get left behind. But it sounds like they're going to continue to play to those guys' strengths of the seven starters they've got left, the other backups who are still there. And I think that's a good place to start. You don't know how it's going to end up, but I think, I think, I think Raheem's done a really good job coming in and not trying to change too much and saying this is the way we're going to do it. He's been very flexible and adaptable, which is what you want to hear in a, in a defensive coordinator coming into the number one defense in the NFL. Going back to uh, Goff and Stafford, they took a salary cap hit on that. 
How much was the hit? And I'll, I'll make it a two-part here. Um, can they still go outside the organization with some money? Do they have any room to get more depth at running back? Uh, Latavius Murray was just released today or agreed to walk away from the Saints. So where are they money-wise and uh, you know, in, in terms of depth at that running back position? They're tight right now, but Les Snead is a magician at figuring out ways to get in and out of stuff like that. So I, I tend to, I've, I've sort of given up trying to calculate where they are against the cap and what that's going to mean because right. it seems like he just he just changes the rules of the game whenever you figure out the rules. You're like, yeah. okay, you got this much left, unless it's like, well, what if I do this, this, and this? And you're like, oh yeah, you can totally sign another guy. So I, I've sort of given up on that. All of us, the beat writers, have sort of given up on trying to figure out where they are because Les has proven the fungibility of this of this salary cap and the whole entire NFL salary structure. So, yeah, they're, they're capable of adding things. I think they really want to see how things go with Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle to start off. I think, I think they really like Daryl Henderson. They've said it over and over again. And when he's healthy, he's a strong, destructive running back who can really get downhill on a team. And Sonny Michelle, I mean, his record speaks for itself. When he's healthy, again, he's a, he's a good, destructive runner who can do a lot of good things. And, again, health concerns are the problem for both of these guys. And if one of them gets hurt, they're not deep this year. They're, they don't have Malcolm Brown waiting in the wings to come in. So they have a rookie seventh-round pick, and they have an undrafted guy from last year out of SMU and Xavier Jones. They have Jake Funk and Xavier Jones are their, are their backups behind these two guys. So, so when somebody gets hurt, they probably will have to go outside the organization, I would think. And given the, the talent of uh, running back that's out there right now and the talent that will be out there as, as the season goes on, I don't worry about them having the right guy to carry the ball. This is a team that turned C.J. Anderson into a star in the, at the tail twilight of his career and got him you know, running downhill in the playoffs. So I don't worry about the Rams being able to figure out uh, finding enough good guys to carry the ball, honestly. Greg, according to the data that I'm looking at, the Rams will next have a first-round pick in 2097. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously <laughs> exaggerating a little bit. But we talk a lot in Vegas about how Gruden and Mayock are trying to do it their own way. They're trying to go out and do it the way that uh, swims against the current of the league. And in the way that the Rams handle first-round draft picks in particular, they really do, but they have the results to show for it by fielding a consistently competitive team. What is behind the way that they have handled those first-round picks and the fact that they are willing to ship them out to get whatever they need? This goes back to Les need again, kind of changing the rules of the game and doing things his own way. He has decided that there's a value on a first-round pick that does that does not match the value, the corresponding value that conventional wisdom and much of the NFL gives to it. As you know, there's, there's all kinds of mathematical formulas. This guy's worth this much. This is worth this. Les looks at it and says, are two first-round picks worth having one of the best cornerbacks in the league on my team for the next few years because he's available from the Jaguars? He says yes. He trades for Jalen Ramsey, gives up two first-round draft picks. People are like, oh, no, he's eviscerating his depth. What's he going to do? Coming out of that trade right now, there's no way in the world you wouldn't make that trade. You look at the two guys the Jaguars got, and you look at what Jalen Ramsey has done. He's an all-pro. Coming back as maybe the most important guy on the defense, him and Aaron Donald, in terms of the roles they do and what they can do. I, I, don't, I, don't, know that, I don't know that why it is that, that we just automatically assume that, that people who assign a certain value to a pick are smart and then other people are wrong. Because Les has proven time and time again that first-round picks are valuable. They're very important, but they're not necessary to build a winning team. I mean, Part of that, again, part of that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where if you've got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on your team, you have a foundation that you can afford to do things differently in other areas. You're not trying to draft, you know, uh, an overall defense when you can build on those studs. But given the fact that, that they pulled it off repeatedly, and given the fact that I don't think, I don't think they even thought twice about trading those two first round picks to get Jared, to get Jared Goff off the books and to get Matthew Stafford in there, I think you have to give the Rams some credit. You can't just sit there and say, you know, oh, well, maybe it doesn't work. 
and by by and by definition, talk about you know Gruden and Mayock talking about the draft the way they talk about it. You can't assume anything's right or wrong until you see what the results are in in a game like this. And I think I think Snead and McVeigh have proven over and over again that this is a way you can do it if you have the right conditions, if you have the right foundational players on your team. And those are very specific gifts that not many teams have. But given that, I think they've done the right thing to give themselves the best chance to win a Super Bowl this year. And they've they've put a team in place that that has a chance that they maybe didn't have last year, maybe they didn't have two years ago. You know, this team might be better than the team that made the Super Bowl. I mean, that that team that made the Super Bowl. Got got there because of a you know a questionable call in the NFC NFC Championship game, and they realize that they they just want to get to that stage and see what can happen. And it seems like you know man for man in terms of the way the NFC is stacking up, not looking as strong as the AFC. Why not you know trade that first round pick, go for it now, see what you can do while all these guys are still under their current contracts, and then figure out the rest later. Figure out the first round picks later. I I, I can't argue with their with their logic until we see how it turns out at the end. We need to bet because we're here in Las Vegas. That's what we do. Uh, Greg Beecham's with us. Mm-hmm. So we need your advice on. The Rams by the betting numbers. Uh, wins over under 10.5, uh, slight price on the under. Are we going over or under 10.5? That's a good number. That's, that's, about, that's, about, that's about right where I'm thinking. Uh, if I had $500 I didn't want to see again, I'd bet the over. Okay. All right. Because, because just because, you know, it's, it's a 17-game season. I, I, think, I think, you know, dummies like me, their first thought is it's a 16-game season. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> To me, to me, I think I think they're going to pick up a lot of wins. I think if they stay healthy, that's a good that's a good regular season team. We'll see what they can do in the long run. But as long as they're healthy, I think they're going to they're going to beat some people and surprise some people too. Who would you bet on this board? NFC West: Niners plus one sixty, Rams right behind them plus one eighty, Seahawks plus two eighty, Cardinals six and a half to one. Who? Uh, given that the Niners, uh, this is an important season for the Niners. I mean, mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan, <laughs> you know. He's he's a boy wonder. He's a genius. He does not have a good overall record. You know, John Lynch. He, you know, he's he's considered a great playmaking uh, personnel guy. He doesn't have a great overall record. They need to have a big year this year. They have the pieces in place to do it. To me, the odds on favorite to win the division are the Niners. But I don't I don't see the Rams having a drop off. If anything, I think they're a better overall team this year. A little bit little bit down on defense, but significantly up on offense. So. I probably still, I still probably like the Niners as, as the division favorites, but I would not be shocked at all if the Rams pulled this off and, and went, you know, went twelve and five, thirteen and four. I, I would not be shocked at all. So that, that's the way I'm leaning right now. I, I think the other two teams have, have a couple more problems than the, than the California teams do, but uh, I, I don't think you can go wrong right there. Some prop bets: Matt Stafford over under forty five ninety five <laughs> passing yards. Forty five ninety five passing yards. Will you go over? Ooh, I go under because because. Uh, if they're as good as they think they're going to be, Matt Stafford may not throw the ball or play a lot in the last three, four weeks of the season. You know what I mean? Just in terms of like overall, he's, Sean has shown that he will not risk a guy for one play longer than he has to in terms of that stuff. And, and so he will not he will not rack up a lot of the a lot of the garbage yards, a lot of the a lot of the late late season stuff when he's getting hurt to the playoffs. He'll sit out if they clinch the playoff berth, that kind of thing. So uh, to me, uh, to me, that's an under. Greg, that was a great spot, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. No problem, Steve. All right, there you go. Greg Beecham, AP. Very enthusiastic on both ends. How about this one, Candy? More passing yards. Stafford versus Goff. Goff's plus 240. I think I might try the plus 240. Am I crazy? Not at that price. I think you know it, that price is that price for a reason because Stafford has far more weaponry around him than Jared Goff does. But if you want to go conventional wisdom and say the Lions are going to be behind every week and Goff's going to have to throw the ball for them to win, I can see where you're coming from. Um, News of running backs being available. Latavius Murray to the 
Ra- not the Ravens. Uh, Le'Veon Bell just got signed by the Ravens. So Latavius Murray still out there. A lot of people were matching up the Ravens with Latavius Murray because uh, one of their backup running backs, Justice Hill, is now down into October with an Achilles. So uh, Le'Veon Bell, latest running back to sign, won't be going to the Rams. He'll be going to the Ravens. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. It does feel like, based on what we're hearing from Tomlin, based on the fact that Pittsburgh does not have a very strong past of negotiating with players once the season starts. It's just something they don't do. It feels like we're either on the brink of something or TJ is basically saying, oh, I'm going to play on this last year, get paid my $10 million, and then really take this thing serious next offseason. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Here, Jeff Darlington there, uh, ESPN, talking about TJ Watt and uh, the long-term deal when it gets done, what's going on here with the Steelers. Let's find out what's going on on Pro Football Talk today and the last couple of days. Miles Simmons is in with us on a Tuesday. What's up, Miles? Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Lovely. Lovely. It's a lovely Tuesday. Can't you feel it? Yes. Uh, it's really nice and sunny out here in Southern California, about 73 degrees in Santa Monica. It's beautiful. Nice. Uh, we were just talking to uh, Greg Beecham in the same area. And uh, we were talking about the Rams. We have the Rams number three in the NFL, but I had some buyer's remorse as I was starting off the conversation. I'm like, did we really rank a Matt Stafford-led Rams team number three in the league? What do you think about the Rams? Um, I I think that they're going to be good. I think that they're going to be really good. I think that they should win the NFC West, but I don't think that they're going to be as good as they would have been if Cam Akers were there. And, you know, I, I felt like... Um, heading into the season and into late July until the report came out that uh, Cam Akers had torn his ACL, that this was probably going to be the best run game that Matthew Stafford has ever played with. And that in turn could really make him perform that much better because a lot of that Sean McVay offense is based on play action and how well can you do things off the run game and all that different stuff. Because when the Rams went to the Super Bowl in 2018, it was largely because at least until the last couple weeks of the season in the playoffs, Todd Gurley was the best offensive player in the National Football League. So if the Rams can still get some semblance of a good and decent run game, and who knows what's going to happen with Sonny Michelle and Daryl Henderson, uh, then I think that, yeah, they can be that good. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily buying what Peter King was selling the other day in Football Morning in America that, Stafford can throw for 6,000 yards. I'm, I don't know about all that, <laughs> yeah. but I think that they could be quite good. It's funny, Beecham, I gave him the uh, the over-under number on passing yards for Stafford, and uh, he thought they'd be ahead enough in games, and they wouldn't be running a risk of having Stafford throw it over the field. The over-under is 45-95, so yikes. Peter King better uh, lay a freaking one of his houses on the over. <laughs> yeah, he better. I mean, I, I, I probably would take the over on that just because – I think that the Rams are going to have to throw more than they probably would want to. Right. And they're going to, Sean McVay is going to be comfortable doing it because he now has somebody he can trust to make every single throw 
in the playbook. And frankly, he didn't have that with Jared Goff, and that's why Matthew Stafford's there in the first place. Should the Rams be looking at a 31-year-old Latavius Murray as a guy to bring in that running back mix? Uh, yes, actually, yes, I, I think so. Um, because you know what? He had a pretty good year last year. And frankly, I don't know if you can rely on Sony Michelle to be all that healthy, um, throughout the year. I don't think they can rely on Daryl Henderson to be all that healthy throughout the year either. And I think Latavius Murray actually would elevate that run game. And frankly, he's a running back, you know, all you got to do is tell him which hole to hit and he can go do it. So they can get him up to speed in a week or two probably, and he can go out there and be effective. So yeah, if if it works under the cap, I actually would make that call if I'm the Rams. Where are you on the Steelers this year? We had them really low. Our rankings, we had them 19. We actually had them behind the uh, Raiders. I think the Raiders were right there at 18 or 20. So right in the, in the Raiders range. Where are you on the Steelers, and what do you think? Is there something more to this T.J. Watt situation with the contract? It seems like there might be more something more to that T.J. Watt situation, and it seems like he's feeling a little disrespected that they don't want to apparently make him the highest-paid defensive player in the NFL. And frankly, I think that T.J. Watt had a good argument that he could have been and maybe should have been a defensive player of the year last year over Aaron Donald. So that's one issue. But I, I think that if you have the Steelers ranked like kind of in that Raiders range, you know, of teams. Like that's the tier that I would put them in too, because I don't know how good Ben Roethlisberger is going to be. And I don't know how much better their run game is going to be, even though they drafted Harris out of Alabama, how much better is their offensive line going to be, even though they've done some things there too. I, I don't know. I think there are just a lot of question marks and that division in the AFC North is tough, right? The Browns are going to be a tough out they maybe should be favored to uh, to win that division i don't know if they are or baltimore is off the top of my head but also i mean then you got baltimore right they're going to be very good they've got the best run game in the league even though you know one of their running backs jk dobbins just got hurt i think you can still anticipate that they're going to have a really really good run game and so i think for pittsburgh it's like all right well you did re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster. That's a good thing. You know, you've got Claypool, who's going to be a really good receiver in this league, it sure looks like. But I, I just don't know. You're going to go as far as your QB takes you. And unless the QB looks like he did a few years ago and not like he did toward the end of last year, then I don't know that the Steelers are going to go far. Having said that, I think that they still finish like 9-8 and eight because they've never had a sub-500 season under Mike Tomlin. And I don't think that they're going to, I don't think that that's going to start this year either. Miles, it feels to me like the TJ Watt situation is kind of a tipping point for this whole Pittsburgh franchise, because we know what the age is on Roethlisberger and the fact that if not for the contract, he might not be back this year in the first place. And if you're not going to pay TJ Watt, who is it on that roster that you're going to pay? And if you don't have the defense to rely on, I mean, we saw what this team looked like a couple of years ago when they were rolling out Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, and it wasn't pretty. Uh, does Pittsburgh have any choice but to pay up here? I, I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, you didn't draft that guy where you drafted him and then develop him the way you developed him to not re-sign him to a deal. I mean, this is one of the guys that you build a defense around. So... I don't know who's got to swallow their pride in the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, but they need to do it and they need to sign that guy because it's not like, like I said, he could have been defensive player of the year last year. It, it, to me, it's almost like with the Raiders and Khalil Mack. Like you, you didn't draft that guy where you drafted him and developed him the way you did to see him walk out the door and go somewhere else. So I don't really understand what the problem is 
Um, but like I said, I mean, this is what you want when you draft somebody in the first round. You want them to become one of the best players in the game. TJ Watt is that. He has earned the right, I believe, to be paid like one of the best players in the game. So, yeah, I don't know. Somebody's got to swallow their pride and just do it because this really shouldn't be an issue. And frankly, I think Mike Tomlin is probably a little bit frustrated because I would be if I were him that I can't get my best defensive player on the field because or I may not have my best defensive player on the field because of something like this. Like this is this is silliness. Like pay the guy. He's done everything that you've ever asked him to do, and then some. So, so he's earned the money. Just give it to him. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, you're as confused as I was when the Raiders traded Khalil Mack. So, you know, right. I mean, in the end, when you have one of those players, you, you find a way, um, you know, one way or another. Let's shift gears a little bit, talk about the rookie quarterback class, since we'll be seeing so many of them on the field here to start the season, Miles. By the end of the year, who do you think is going to be the cream of the crop in terms of the rookie quarterbacks? And then at the other end of it, who do you think is going to be the one that we might have some questions about by the time 2021 is done? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think either Mac Jones or Trey Lance right now are probably in the best situation. So I, I would say because I think Mac Jones is going to play the most, I think he's going to look like the cream of the crop. And I think he's got a pretty good team around him. I like what they have right there with uh, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith as tight ends. We always think of the tight end as the QB security blanket. He's got a couple of guys that really can catch the football and can help move the chains. And I think we saw in the past with the Patriots, when they have two tight ends and they're running that offensive system, they can do it very, very well. Um, so I think that based on those things, I think Mac Jones is going to look really good. But also, you know, I don't know when we're going to see Trey Lance, but if we do at you know say halfway through the season and he performs like i think he will in that kyle shanahan system then we're gonna see something that i think is gonna be pretty special out of him because look that system can make almost any quarterback look pretty good you know and i think we've seen what happens with it where you have a really really good quarterback in uh, Green Bay, when you've got somebody like Aaron Rodgers, you know, the derivatives of it is with Sean McVay down in Los Angeles too. So we'll start to see that um, down in LA with the Rams as well. So it's like, all right, if he can take Jimmy Garoppolo to the Super Bowl, and Jimmy Garoppolo is probably one of those mid tier quarterbacks, if we're really looking at it honestly. If Trey Lance has the elite talent that we think he does, then he's going to be way up there. So I, that's one part of the answer to the question. Now, the other part, I, I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be somebody that we're going to have question marks about simply because there's not that much talent there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I don't know what's going to happen there with Urban Meyer. I think it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be very intriguing, but I have no idea. And I think Zach Wilson is going to look good at times, but also the talent is just not going to be there around him. But I was actually really impressed with some of the things I saw from him throwing the football in preseason. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. All right, I don't really feel pressure. What do you think of that statement by John Gruden? Uh, I think he is probably correct. I mean, he doesn't – look, you guys don't think that John Gruden's on the hot seat, do you? Because I certainly don't. I mean, unless they're going like 3-14 and 14 or like, and it's an absolute disaster, in which case Gruden would probably resign and go back to television rather than, you know, be – Fired. I but I don't see that the Raiders are that bad. I mean, I think that like we we're saying, they're they're in that 
probably, you know, mediocre to maybe they're kind of good range. Like, I honestly, and I don't know, I think these are picks are coming out um, tomorrow on profootballtalk.com, but I actually think that the Raiders can make the playoffs. I think I gave them that last spot, the nice. seventh seed in the nice. AFC. And I think it's because their defense should be improved. Um, they can compete in the division. We've seen that. We've seen them beat the Chiefs, and they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football there um, at the Death Star that they like to call it. Um, but then, all, but I, I just – I don't think that they're going to be that bad. So I think that if it's – if it weren't uh, – if it were something that like, oh, my gosh, the Raiders are going to implode and all that, then, yeah, maybe he would feel pressure. But the second part of that statement was like – where you said Mark Davis is going to tell me if it's good enough or not. And I think, you know, I, I don't think I'm breaking much new ground here when it's like Mark Davis was the one who really, really wanted John Gruden back as the head coach of the Raiders. And I don't think that Mark Davis is going to give up on John Gruden four years in. I think that there are other people who could possibly be the scapegoat for that instead of John Gruden. So unless this thing just totally goes belly up, I understand what Gruden is saying about not necessarily feeling pressure. Last one. This is another good quote. I've been at peace, but I've been mad at the same time, if that makes sense. It sounds like KJ Wright is quoting me. Um, <laughs> this will turn out to be a hell of a story. You know, KJ Wright was talking about being disrespected if the Raiders basically steal KJ Wright off the scrap heap and he's, you know, that final piece they need to actually be, you know, at least a middle of the road defense in the NFL. Yeah, you know, you look at the linebacker position for the Raiders, and I mean, I guess you could say this about all three levels of their defense over the last few years, but that was one place where it was really lacking. And so now you go out and you get two guys in the last couple weeks and Denzel Perryman who know, uh, and then also K.J. Wright, who are very familiar with Gus Bradley, and they know what the scheme is, and they know how to teach it to other people. And so, yes, you sign Corey Littleton, you know, you brought him in, you signed Kukowski, you brought him in, and they did not perform up to the standard that you needed last year. So I think Corey Littleton is still the kind of guy who can run around there and be a really good defensive player um, for you in the right scheme. But if you have somebody like KJ Wright and you have somebody like Denzel Perryman who know that system inside and out and can play it really well, you've basically just kind of given yourself the insurance. And the other part of that is you've also seen all of these guys through an off-season program and training camp. So they knew they needed to do something to upgrade this linebacker spot. And if KJ Wright still has something left, and based on the way he played last year, I think he does. And I think that they know what Denzel Perryman has because, again, he was playing last year with uh, Gus Bradley and most of that defensive staff there with the Chargers. Then, yeah, that should be good. Um, but yeah, when KJ Wright's talking about, you know, I was angry, but I was at peace at the same time. It's like, I mean, I, I think you can only be at peace if you know that there's something that's going to be there for you on the horizon. And after he visited with the Raiders a few weeks ago, he was probably just being like, all right, well, I can sit here. I can wait for a little bit longer until something else comes along. You know, it's like when you're about to go to the prom and you're a high school senior and you're like, man, I know I can get this girl to go with me. But there's somebody else who's a little bit more better looking that I might want. And, like, maybe she'd say yes. And then she says no. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to go with my standby. It sort of seems like what might have happened here with KJ. That started out good on the Raiders a couple minutes ago about them making the playoffs. Now they're kind of the, the blah chick that you're going to take to the prom. All right, that was nice. Uh, Pro Football <laughs> Talk on Peacock. What do you got coming up rest of the week, Miles? 
Uh, well, we are starting, I want to say this, we are restarting PFTPM back on Monday, September 13th. We will wrap up all of week one. I will be on there Wednesdays and Fridays throughout the season. So other than that, you can catch PFT live on Peacock and also on uh, NBC Sports Network in the mornings. Good deal, Miles. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. There is Miles Simmons. Nice enough to hook up on our uh, high-quality line. I enjoyed that. All right, second half of the program is on the way. First half of the program included that prom analogy, but it also, ooh, it included the word fungibility. And I think I may want to, is there, in the fat pack, can we find, like, big chicken going with some sort of fungibility when it comes to sandwiches? The phone lines are open, and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield & Company, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. You see a pair of laughing eyes. And suddenly you're sighing, sighing. Fat Pack on a Tuesday. This is a good one. This is a good one. Now, on this show, we've got people who are adventurous. And then we've got the uh, very disliked, even more than the Raiders, according to uh, whatever that poll was that said the Raiders are the most hated team in sports. Uh, the very disliked Ari, who is basically against trying anything that's not clean. Uh, you would freaking crush the spirit of any chef who had a lot of creativity. This one is good. This one's real good. So there's a place in Houston, or Houston, uh, Miko's Hot Chicken. I love hot chicken. Now, there's bad hot chicken, though. I've been to places they've, they've got hot chicken, uh, and they ruin it. How about this one? A hot chicken ice cream sandwich, which when I first read it, I was like, okay, what are we looking at here? Candy the... Hot chicken ice cream sandwich. When you watch this video, I don't know how you can say anything, but my Lord, this looks awesome. I don't see what's to dislike. Well, the hot chicken needs a counterpoint. I know. Right? And anytime you eat hot food, you know, if you're a smart human being, that milk-based products cool the yep. spice. Yep. Yep. So why would you not want Brilliant. ice cream with the hot chicken? Because we do a show with the most boring person ever when it comes to cuisine. He he stinks. It looks awesome. They've got a, a hot honey sauce, two scoops of uh, vanilla ice cream, which look very cold because they're not melting right away. And then the chicken. I mean, it lo- it's uh, it's dynamite. All right, we're, we're up against it. we got to let's uh, speed along here, get the San Paniotovich. We have a ton of week one into week two reaction and some early leans and likes in the world of college football. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Traffic is brought to you by Best Mattress. Save today with their Labor Day rollback prices up to eighteen hundred dollars. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Oh God! Pull back the curtain on the show. Insufferable whining before the spot. Ari complaining that it's still one hundred and six in Vegas. It's still summer here. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. Uh, funny, today I was interviewing uh, Julio Garcia on the field after practice over at UNLV. Julio 6'3 and 330. And, I, and I'm interviewing him. I'm like, it's getting kind of hot. And I am, like, drenched in sweat. This guy weighs 330 pounds. Like, not a drop of sweat. I look like an absolute slob. But I love it. That's why I love living here. 
Sammy P's with us, Sam Paniotovich. Sam, I'm a sweaty mess. Well, hold on. Are you listening to Ari's phone calls? That's messed up. We're in the same studio today. Uh, I don't like that, man. I heard you were bad control-wise. You're listening to my man's phone calls. I was spying a little bit. The rare, the, the, the rare chance that I'm in studio, so I get to hear him whining about the weather. So, uh, well, I will say this. Your college football betting journey got off to a hell of a start because I was sitting there on the sideline, and I didn't want to rub it in, but I think I texted you at least once during the UNLV Eastern Washington game, and I'm like, bruh, what was it over? Was it over under 66 and a half? 66 and a half. Oh, it was boy. a surefire oh, lock boy. of the century. Oh, boy. Never had a doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm watching this game, and in a game like that, where the total 66 and a half, you need a horse to set the pace. <laughs> you know, yeah. if the horse doesn't set the pace, you're going to end up 6 3 at halftime. And you should see the text and the direct messages. Of course. Kill yourself. I'm like, oh, my God, it's a football game. Um, eventually, though, we get there. Uh, no thanks to a missed field goal at the end of regulation to keep it 20-20. Yeah. to yep, yep. And it lands 35-33. Let me paint a picture for you. Me and a 1,000 of my closest friends <laughs> at 1.30 a.m. Eastern are watching this game on a stadium.com stream. I believe it, man. I, I saw there was, you know, the fact that college football is back and fans are here and now betting spreading across the country. I saw so many people watching, you know, the late game. So, you know, Utah State, Washington State, it's freaking like one thirty uh, in the morning, Eastern time, one forty-five, and people were still very fired up. So let's get into some week one impressions leading into the week two lines. I know Candy has a bunch of games, but I'll start out with, I already put money on Oregon. Am I crazy? I have Oregon plus 14 against Ohio State. No, you're not crazy. Um, I wish you would have waited for a little bit better number. There are some hooks now. Circa's got a 15. Ooh, okay. The only thing, yeah, the only thing there is that that's going to be public Ohio State money all the way down to the wit, right? Until Saturday, that's going to be Buckeye money, straight parlay, teaser. So that's going to be something that's probably going to keep building. I like. I need to know one thing before I pull the trigger on Oregon. I need to know about Thibodeau's leg injury, yeah. uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who could go number one in the draft next year. You know, the rumor was high ankle sprain. That doesn't seem to be the case. Um, so we're going to monitor that over the next couple of days. But I think if you like Oregon, you could probably, you know, and then again, it's like 14 and a half is a good number too. You know, 15 is a good number. I don't know what more you want than that because 16 is kind of a dead number. I agree with you. I just need to know that Thibodeau is going to be okay because I'll tell you one thing. Chris Olave in that second half against Minnesota, was being guarded by Adam Candy, essentially. <laughs> like, it was a third-string white cornerback wow. uh-huh. that was trying to stop Chris Olave, who was maybe the best receiver in the country. And that was bad, not to mention Ibrahim from Minnesota. You know, he blows his Achilles out in the third quarter. So that game was a lot closer than the final score would say. And I, I agree with you. I lean to the dog. First of all, I am the second coming of Jason Seahorn. I don't know what <laughs> sort of slander you're throwing out there. Yeah. But... Since we're on the subject, I have been leaning toward Oregon since this was put up months ago, but yet something about that performance last week against Fresno State just gives me a little bit of heartburn about the idea of how they're going to match up against Ohio State. Um, Were you at all concerned about what you saw out of Oregon against the Bulldogs? You're concerned when they don't take care of business against a team that isn't a Power 5 team. That being said, Oregon showed nothing offensively. Mario didn't want to show anything. Neither did uh, 
the offensive coordinator. I mean, they weren't really trying to do much of anything. It was very vanilla. I think they're trying to save the kitchen sink for Ohio State, if that makes any sense. If you're going to match up with Ohio State, you need two things. You need pressure on the quarterback, which, again, is predicated on Thibodeau and his status and how that affects you know the front seven. The second part is you need corners. You need guys that could get up, be physical at the line of scrimmage, and challenge Wilson and Alave because those are the two guys that you have to stop to keep it close to Ohio State. And by all accounts, Oregon, very good at corner, and they do, when healthy, have a pretty decent pass rush. Let's not forget, Candy, you're talking about a redshirt freshman quarterback who's starting his second game for Ohio State. Um, that's the elephant in the room. They're good enough to score three, four touchdowns in 10, 12 minutes, but if they fall down in this game, if Oregon takes the opening kickoff back and makes it 7 nothing, Oregon has speed. They're not gonna. They're not gonna really be outsped in this game like Minnesota was. So if you're looking for a team speed head to head, there's really not that big of a difference. Ohio State just has better players and they're stronger in the trenches, and they have arguably a, a more talented quarterback. So it's gonna be a good game. I could see Ohio State by 21. I could see Oregon lose by six. It could be anywhere in the middle. That's gonna be a great game to watch. And I, I, if you're on Oregon, you're probably happy too that it's not a night game in the drunk tank because uh, Ohio Stadium at noon is better than Ohio State at 7.30 at night. That's for sure. Cyhawk this year has probably as much importance as it ever has Iowa-Iowa State with the clones laying four and a half, uh, depending on where you're looking at the number. And I think you and I are looking at this similarly. Iowa was my biggest bet of the week last week, um, but I can't get behind it the same way against an Iowa State team that, even though I'm not a huge Brock Purdy fan, is pretty damn solid all the way around. There's another team, Iowa State, much like Oregon. They didn't show you Jack on offense in their game against Northern Iowa. A little bit too close for comfort, but it was never really in doubt. They were in control most of the way. Um, this is a total flip-flop when it comes to Iowa. Nobody wanted to bet Iowa last week. Everybody bet Indiana. I bet Iowa. Now everybody's betting Iowa. It's like, oh, wow, Iowa's pretty good. 34-6. <laughs> to six. It's like, wow, let's take the points. And it's, it's never that simple. That's a tough back-to-back for Iowa. You go from Indiana to Iowa State, now you're on the road. That Cyclone offensive line, very good. You know, Purdy, tremendous quarterback. Brees Hall, the running back. Matt Campbell, good coach in a big game. Um, And you're starting to see, you know, I see some books have 75 80% of the tickets on Iowa already, but the line has moved from three to four to four and a half. I laid four. Uh, I missed three and a half. I missed three on the open at Circa. That that lasted about 10 seconds. But this is a time where Iowa could be that public underdog, and I hate the public underdog. I like Iowa. I think they're a good football team, but it doesn't mean they can't lose by seven or 14 on the road against a very good Iowa State team. It feels like a good buy-low on Iowa State, much like last week it was a good buy-low on Iowa. But now Iowa's the hottest stock in the Big Ten. Well, Let's keep it on the overreaction train here for a second and talk about the Texas Longhorns who win at home in Sark's debut against Louisiana. And now, again, I'm not a a huge fan of this Arkansas team, but do you want Texas laying a touchdown on the road at this point of the season? Not with a freshman quarterback. No shot. That that ain't going to happen. Total coming down in this one, too, I think is a little correlated. I think the book's 
sort of, or not the books, the, the, the betters rather, the professional betters expecting maybe a little bit of a slower performance on offense for Texas. I mean, they moved the ball at will against Lafayette, but you expect that when it's a Texas offensive line against a Lafayette defensive line. Arkansas, bigger guys, bigger bodies, harder to move. This thing probably could slow um, on both ends. Uh, Texas has a good running back, but when it gets inside the 20, are they going to be able to do what they did against Lafayette? I don't think so. I lean to the home dog. I think the under is a better play. We've already seen 58 down to about 56 at one big uh, offshore book. That's that's sharp money on the under for sure, and I think that plays hand-in-hand with maybe Texas struggling a bit in this kid's first real road start. Elsewhere in overreactions, are we overreacting to Washington's loss at home to Montana as Michigan has moved out basically a full touchdown to 6.5 here at 49? I just I want to make sure everybody who's betting Michigan knows that Ronnie Bell, their best receiver, tore his ACL. He's not playing nope. in this game. I don't know if everybody knows that, but it it hasn't stopped people from betting on Michigan. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, when have we ever? And you know, I've never been able to be like, oh, you know what, the best players out. Let me bet on them. I, it just to me that doesn't make sense. Look ahead number here was Michigan minus one, and now we're at six and a half. And uh, Look, I talked to a guy this morning who bets for a living. He said he's going to wallop Washington if it gets to seven. Um, so take from that what you must. I, look, I'm in no rush to bet that game personally, um, but the fact that we're seeing Michigan on a look-ahead minus one open up for bet to six-and-a-half on a Tuesday, sharp guys are on Michigan, but that buyback is coming, man. You, you can't take this to seven and not expect resistance. I like Utah. I like the coaching. The Holy War is an interesting spot to have a seven-point spread with a total of 48. The Utes laying it on the road-ish going to BYU. What's your read on that one? I agreed with the move um, on Utah. BYU, I think, because of Zach Wilson and all they did last season, you're still sort of paying that perception on that tax. I mean, BYU was a very good team for a lot of people last season. It's not the same team because the quarterback is not as good. So uh, just pay attention here. Look at some of the matchups. I think defensively, Utah does a lot of things well that could counteract what BYU wants to do. Uh, you know, sharp guys hitting that up to seven. That's no mistake. I, I still think you could lay seven. You missed the best number, but if you understand that, that's okay. I would not be betting BYU here. I think this team has regressed a bit, and I don't think the books have caught up yet. Uh, last couple of games, hardcore spots here. Illinois, Virginia, Illini are getting 10. We think they're getting healthier at quarterback. Brandon Peters back. Peters probably in, and uh, also Chase Brown, RB1, is going to play. There's a rumor that a couple other bodies could be available for Beth Bielema. This is what I call the accordion, man. Illinois goes from a seven-point dog at home. Nobody really wanted to bet them, and then they go to a you know seven-point favorite at home, get bet down to five. They became the sexy team last week, and now it's like, oh, Maybe Illinois does suck. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, Virginia's a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. If Illinois is healthy, and I believe they will be, you and I have talked about this over the last couple of days, uh, I picked Illinois plus 10.5. You can still find 10s. I think 10s are good. Uh, Bielema is an underdog, much more profitable than he is as a favorite, too. I like them when they have their backs against the wall. 
that could be a field goal game either way. I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia lost. That's, that's a lot of points for Virginia to lay. Last one, what do we read from uh, Wisconsin and especially Graham Mertz, who was you know just kind of so-so at the end of last year, said he was injured. Well, he comes back first game this year. He didn't look great again. And uh, I know, again, this is a hardcore spot, but uh, Eastern Michigan's getting 25-and-a-half against Wisconsin. Man, it sounds like a lot, but how many times have we watched Wisconsin with that Big Ten offensive line just railroad teams from the MAC or the Ohio Valley or something? I mean, this is really a game that if Wisconsin controls the line of scrimmage, they could go up 28 <laughs> nothing. you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, it's just power on, on weakness in the trenches sometimes. And you gotta, you got to feel for Eastern Michigan. They're going to get down in this game. Uh, especially Wisconsin. I mean, let's give Penn State a lot of credit. They played well defensively. Eastern Michigan is not Penn State on defense. So I, I hate these big number games, 26, 26 and a half. But, man, Wisconsin could win this game 42 to 7. I wouldn't be surprised. Sam, good spot, man. We'll talk to you. Thank you. All right. See you, boys. There he is, Sam Paniotovich from Nesson. Sammy P, Chicken Dinner Podcast at Chicken X Dinner up on Twitter. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.